Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Welcome to the Rooted and Unwavering podcast, where we help leaders connect with their innate potential. We're broadcasting live today from Phoenix, Arizona and Mount Vernon, Washington, and I'm your guest host, Rick Gage. And our guest today on this 25th episode of our podcast is our usual host, Hilke Faber, the founder and CEO of Growth Leaders Network. After 24 episodes, deep conversations with amazing leaders that I found very engaging and insightful, I thought maybe it was time for us to turn the tables and get to know our host in a bit different way. And I'm so delighted that Hilke agreed. So Hilke, how does it feel so far being the guest? Uh Fun and uncomfortable. I, I feel still like I should be saying what you're saying, but keep going. Yes, I love it. So before we get started, let me say just a bit more about the podcast to set a further context for our conversation. And then I'll share a bit of background about Hilka and we can dive in. The intention for Rooted Unwavering is to help us connect more deeply to what is true recognizing that we as humans are often pulled in different different directions, can easily lose track of what is true, taken in by our own stories about what's going on in our lives. We know that becoming more deeply grounded in what is real, what is true is the beginning and the heart of transformation and growth. It's a coming home to ourselves that unleashes innate greatness and power within us. And it's from that place that we can make contributions in the world and have life be more fulfilling. So let me share just a bit of background on Hilke. Hilke was born and grew up, as many of you know, in the Netherlands on his family's dairy farm. He started his work life as a business strategy consultant with Towers Perrin and then partner in Strategic Decisions Group. Uh, during that time, in his own words, he describes being a typical hard-charging 16-hour-a-day strategy consultant, rapidly on his way to burnout. In that time, fortunately, he discovered meditation and a new path that changed his life and became the foundation for his work for the last 15 plus years as a facilitator and coach, working with many high profile companies and leaders to help them discover their own greatness and create extraordinary teams and organizations, while also building a fulfilling, rewarding professional and personal life. In addition to consulting, Hilke has taught at the Columbia School of Business, has been recently collaborating and teaching with the Climate Conscious Leaders Program with the Arizona State University. I've had the opportunity to interview a number of Hilke's clients, and what I consistently hear is that their time working with Hilke was transformative, even life-changing, a watershed time that they look back on as having a long-term impact on the course of their lives. He's lived in the U.S. now for 30 years in Washington, D.C., New York, Seattle, and now Phoenix. He's an award-winning author of two Taming Your Crocodiles books. He's a trained opera singer and musician. He's a tennis and hiking enthusiast, an avid reader. And I've come to know him as a generous man of strong values, great humility, a committed colleague and friend. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to put him on the hot seat and give you, our listener, an opportunity to get to know him better. 
So Hilke, let's start our conversation today with having you describe what does rooted and unwavering feel like for you? That's an interesting phrase that you chose for this podcast, and I'd love to hear what's that like for you to be rooted and unwavering? Well, just listening to your introduction, I had an experience of that, a very particular experience, and I teared up a little bit because I felt very seen by what you said. And I wish for anyone in the world to have people introduce them as you just did. I was very beautiful and um, I felt seen. And I think being rooted and unwavering has something to do with feeling seen. Uh, and for a long time, we may think that comes from the outside. That's understandable. And then after a while, if we're lucky, and usually life says, hello, you know, look inside, you can get rooted and unwavering inside of yourself. And what I mean by rooted is you get rooted in something that's always there. I remember as a young child, I was terribly homesick. I was always trying to hold on to this farm family idea that I thought was the only point in the world where I ever could be happy. I remember when I was 18, a walk I took with my parents just before I was going to college. And my dad and I talked and we said, you know, this, this is it. This is it. This is the last time you'll be living here and you'll be going out into the world. And to me, that felt both exciting and terrifying in a way. And I think many of us have that experience where we associate being rooted in with a place or a person or an experience. And what I came to see through meditation, through life, through working with clients, uh, through living, is that there's something in us that we can always come home to that is constant. And the more we know that, the more we don't just know it with our heads, but just know it viscerally, like our bones know it, the more we come to a place of peace, to vitality, to insight, to adaptability, a sense of connectedness. And then it becomes unwavering because it doesn't mean that therefore you become like, or I become like a, a, a block of concrete that is unmoving. Uh, life still happens. You know, uh, clients do what they do. People respond to emails. People don't respond to emails. There's Sometimes smaller and bigger upsets and tragedies happening in life. People get sick. I get sick or tired or whatever. The question then is, how do we? How are we with those waves? Do we become, or do I become identified with those? Do I become attached to them, and do I lose myself in them? You could say part of my mind drifts off into this experience, like in a really good movie, or am I able to stay centered in this place of? home uh, that has nothing to do with place or people or experiences uh, or outcomes. It's always here and it's the place from which I can relate um, in, a, in a way that's you could say is unwavering and has also something to do with values, you know, unwavering into what's important to me. Because once I connect to that still place, I also relate that to some things in me that are very important to me, like being loving, being unconditionally loving. So that's a bit about how this idea of those two words sprung up. 
Thank you. Thank you for that. You talked about how life has a way of coming and knocking on the door and saying, hello, time to look inside. <laughs> wonder if you could share a couple of times when you when you had that experience and, and what that led you to in, in finding a more internally rooted place. Yes, yes. Well, there's so many moments. And I would say the knocks are daily. Uh, so I could relate to an experience from last week or from yesterday or from earlier on in my life. And I'll, I'll share one experience from earlier on in my life. You mentioned I was this hard-charging strategy consultant. And what was really a, a watershed moment, that what knocked on my door was insomnia. I could not sleep. And I sometimes wouldn't sleep for an entire week. And uh, it was like my mind, I didn't know at the time, trying to control and be the per this perfect being, this perfect consultant like successful and like hitting all the and even like having great relationships and it was like just a, a big control game but I didn't know that because I was in the midst of it and then I didn't sleep anymore and not sleeping is really uncomfortable like it's really uncomfortable especially if you keep doing that for many days and after a while having that experience I was on vacation at some point on Amalant this little village this little uh, island close to where I was born together with some friends and I was basically lying there in the middle of the night with my friends snoring in various degrees <laughs> in the early morning hours and I was again not sleeping for like day number six or seven and something in me was like uh this gotta change this 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 can't be this this can't be this can't be and then I became very curious about, well, what could be? And it wasn't like an immediate solution, but then I discovered meditation. And through meditation, I discovered that there was something beyond my thinking that had something to do with peace, something to do with love, something to do with compassion, something with something that's always here. Walt Whitman says, an unfailing sufficiency, like something that's always here, that is enoughness, and and I could sleep again. So that was uh, that was one of those experiences. So how long did it take from that sort of night with friends snoring um, to the point at which you were able to get back to sleep again? Well, it took about a year. Because I started with yoga, which helped a little bit, but not quite. And then I went on vacation to Vietnam. And I had somebody there that I met in yoga that said, I want to teach you meditation. So he taught me meditation. And I sat down in one of those temples by a very noisy street in Ho Chi Minh City for an hour. And it was very painful for me because this person had me sit cross-legged, which I did not know how to do. And yet I did it. And the night after that, I just slept so incredibly well. And after that, the insomnia pretty much went away. And insomnia is erodes so many things that uh, having having some sleep, some good sleep can be a building block for lots of other things. Maybe say yes. a little bit more about how meditation has 
has opened up for you this this access to unfailing sufficiency and other core truths for you yeah well to me it's like brushing my teeth in the morning i get up and of course i do the usual hygiene things and breakfast and i sit down to and and meditate usually for a half hour or so and what i notice is that in the early morning it's almost like my brain mind comes up with the gunk that hasn't been cleaned out from the previous days it's like the like i i sometimes have the 3 a.m still waking up in the middle of the night for a second or for an hour it's like oh this dude, well, and, the, and, and the mind goes into this contraction and and i'm through sort of meditation while sleeping i can sleep again but then in the morning when i meditate it's like uh, a clean out like like really doing the dishes from the previous day almost. And it, it starts to feel more open, uh, more grounded, more manageable, more kind. And the energy drops from the head more into the heart. That's what meditation helps me do. Now, I also have to say, I don't want to, to make an, just an advertisement for meditation because I remember once, sitting in meditation hall and everybody was talking about this. And, and I thought for a second, wait, we're now getting very attached to this thing of meditation. Now we have to do this well, you know, and I even have some pride in my ego has some pride in doing this 30 minutes every day, you know, or something like that. It's, it's just a tool. It's like having a conversation with you as a tool. It's, it's, it's also meditation simply becomes familiar, becoming familiar with reality. That's what, the word points to right and the practice points to so that's always and it's not just this practice it happens while walking while having breakfast while having a conversation with your friend by while being in a meeting while writing something it can be always it's just an orientation of you could say connectedness and that to me is the takeaway from meditation it helped to orient me from running after to connecting to something that's deeper here yeah, thank you for that. As as you describe it a little bit here, and as we've talked about this before, the the sense of rootedness and unwaveringness is something we return to again and again. That that we that we lose hold of it, and then we and then we come back. And uh, I'd love for you to describe some more recent, perhaps, experiences of of when you when you lost that rootedness and unwaveringness, and and how you noticed that you lost it and, and what brought you back? I really don't like this question, Rick, because now I have to come clean. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, well, on, one experience comes to mind. And, and I love you asking this question because when we do workshops, when I facilitate workshops with others, uh, I always think of examples that are happening in the last few days. And what's interesting over the last 15 to 20 years is that these examples are always there. So that's a that's a data point. They're always there. So if we did this episode a year from now, I'm sure I'll have another, another episode. So that's the first thing to notice is that it's not wrong that we have these experiences. It's more like, ah, oh, I have these experiences to learn something, to become more rooted, you could say, to, to, to expand my perspective. You know, so an experience I had this week was with a client 
um, I got an email from them uh, saying that uh, they wanted to change the scope uh, about by 50% and that they wanted to change our fees about with about 80%. Uh, and both of them were downward. Uh, and so I got that email uh, and I sent an email back with, okay, so let's think about the scope and here's my perspective on what that, what the work that's already been done. And, you know, part of my mind wants to please, right? My mind says, okay, sure. Uh, we'll do 50% less of work and you pay us 80% less. It's okay. You know, I'm going to be a good, nice boy. And I'm like a really compassionate person and I'm so peaceful. But then something in me says, well, well, hold on. What's going on? What, what's really going on here? Like what, what's really going on here? And I looked at the, the deliverables that we created, the, the time we had spent. And so I sent an email back saying, yes, um, I, I see that the scope needs to be reduced given some things that were happening in the company with organization change that they couldn't foresee. And I understand you have a budget constraint. And this is the work that's already been done. Therefore, I propose that we meet somewhere in the middle. And I gave them the number. And while I wrote that, I felt very strong. It felt almost like, you know, when you're singing or, or something, like the energy was flowing and I felt like in it. And I sent the email around 10 o'clock in the morning and I did my coachings. And from time to time, I was checking my email. Has this client responded yet? And they hadn't responded. And night came and they hadn't responded. And I felt I, I went to the end of my day and said, okay, well, this is what it is. It's fine. It'll be fine. However, then at about 3 a.m. in the morning, I woke up and my brain started to go like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, you, are, you are way too assertive. You will now lose all work with this client. This kind of catastrophic thinking started to kick in. And... I couldn't stop the thinking because the thinking just did what the thinking does. And this, and I come to understand this is the crocodile, right? This is the reptilian survival brain that needs to protect me from the worst case scenarios by letting me see what that could be. It's like, okay, well, you, you, you do that. You do, do your work. You know, the Titanic didn't do that very well. So it's good that, the, that I have this mechanism in me. That's okay. But I, I could feel it in my, my mind. Like I started to feel like all overheated, um, stressed out and then i just noticed it i said what am i doing i'm being caught in some maelstrom of thoughts so i breathe it and ask myself a simple question is this true i don't i don't know whether this is true this is probably not true and it feels familiar like ego attachment madness happening in me so what if I let this go? What if I just let this go and come back to my, my heart and just let this go and let go of my control because I realized it was my fear of outcomes that was influencing me and be really kind to myself and to this other person because I realized the mind wasn't very kind to me or the other person. And then just by able being able to drop that, I touched into something deeper in me that was more quiet, more peaceful, and I went back to sleep.
And then the next morning I woke up and there was an email saying, thank you so much for sharing your perspective so kindly. And that makes total sense for me. Let's go this way. And I thought, I'll be darned. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting how so often any gaps um, that may exist, just natural gaps in communication or, you know, the, the unreplied to email is the classic example. Uh, our mind fills in a story yes. about what that's about. And, and, and yes. the story writers are almost always crocodiles or, or fearful parts of us that, yes. that start writing in what are the horrible things that might happen. Yes. I love that what you described, Hoka, though, also there was the, you described, I think, as an overheated mind, um, a recognizing kind of the energy of the thoughts that were, the, oh, this is a familiar ego energy control kind of set of thoughts. So there were several sort of flags that you had that you could use to identify, oh, I'm in, I'm in that unrooted state. I'm in that yes. not remembering what's real state. And then you used the question, just, is it real? Is it true? Um, yes. uh, and, and often the follow-up question, can I really know that it's true, yeah. uh, as, as a way to sort of deepen into that. And, and, uh, and, and that helps you say, well, no, I can't really know that that's true. And no. yeah, this is just a story. Yes. Yes. Reminds me of the theme. You've heard me often say no news is just no news. <laughs> right. Right. It's, right. It's, it's just a gap in news. It's not, it's not a new story. Right. Although my mind wants to make it that very quickly. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I'm, I am struck by, Rick, that the, there's, there's the two-parter to it. Is it truthful and is it loving, hmm. kind? And in, in the last few years, I've really started to develop a deeper relationship with the second question as well, which is this kind and loving? And my crocodilian mind wants to say, when you're in crisis, there's no space for kindness. And then I ask myself, is that true? And I realize there's always space for kindness and love and peace, no matter what happens. Even when I'm in the middle of a battle, I can still be kind to myself and the other person, even if it means I'm going to be totally disagreeing with this person or being totally firm, I can still hold this intention and be connected to that energy of kindness, of love, of care. I was coaching somebody last night, and this was a, a senior executive in a technology company, and they were describing a conflict they had with another uh, of their peers. And it was basically about getting into each other's territory. The, their, their colleague felt that they were getting into their territory with, with their team all the time. And they thought that they were being very innovative and actually very purposeful, right? So we're talking about this. And it was interesting, right? Because this person that I was coaching, let's call them Carlos. Carlos said, yeah, I, I, I felt I need to please them and say the right things. And this is not right. But then the, 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 in a very big strategy, very, very complicated, what, what they needed to do with the team to build some kind of alliance with this other group within this company, right? And it, it was very apparent that this was all mind stuff 
but not high mind, but very low contracted mind stuff, like fearful mind stuff that I was talking. It makes it very complex. That's another way we can think. It's not always like panicky. It can always also be very, very complicated, but very, uh, and, and sophisticated, but very complicated, right? And so then the, a way to get through that is by asking, so what do you feel about this, Carlos? And Carlos said, I feel angry, right? Now, in some school of thought, you could say, well, anger has no place in love, but that's not true, right? Martin Luther King was a great example of, or, or, and Gandhi were great examples of saying, no, no, I am standing for this. You are you're, we're crossing a boundary. This is not working. We're out of alignment with what I see as true, right? So as soon as Carlos realized his anger and realized it wasn't bad that he had anger, there was a firmness that came up. And he realized that he actually was afraid of the other person and that he was going to be seen as the troublemaker by their manager, by their senior leader, uh, for even wanting to change the dynamic of collaboration. But it required him to take a step back, connect with his feelings, and look a little deeper and say, what is this really about? So that's the third question. Is it true? Is it loving? And what is this really about? As opposed to the surface mind that creates a lot of complications. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for the, those three questions. So let's, let's dive into that second question a little more. I'd love to hear how that emerged for you. What sort of brought that forward? for you that well, is it loving is it kind how did that come to become be a part of the of the questions that you ask yourself first because i'm a really slow student so i i've been working with uh, this coach uh since 2003 uh, for so for the last 20 years and her first question to me was I was, I was attending a small meditation session that she was leading at the time. And my ego says, because he had wave music going, and I thought, you know, I'm the silent meditator. I don't need all this kind of new agey stuff. She doesn't get it. But there was something in me that, that I need to talk to her. Anyway, so she, I asked the first question she asked me while I, when I talked to her after that session in 2003 was, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you love yourself? And I'm like, a four? Because this is not working. My relationships are falling apart. My deal hasn't come in. I don't feel so good. Da, 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 da. Huh. And so for the last 20 years, she's been coaching me on this very simple idea of what is it like when you commit to being unconditionally love, unconditional love, to being unconditional love, being rooted in that. And notice when you're caught by something that gets you away from that, which is probably fear or some kind of control. So I've practiced that question for the last 20 years. But somehow I've resisted it also. What I think... Okay, this is this is very uncomfortable for me to share, but I'll say it anyway. What really brought me to my knees was my my relationship with my now husband. Because 
there was something in me in the early years of our relationship. We've been together for about eight years now. Is that I thought I knew. So this question, is this true? It's like, oh, I know the truth here. This is what needs to happen. You don't do that. Well, you need to do this because a good relationship looks like this and a good husband looks like this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to coach you being very smart with truth questions into what it should be, which is not loving to them or or to me. Fortunately, I'm married with somebody who doesn't take that. <laughs> he doesn't play the game. So he just when I do that, it's more he says, huh? Like it, it stops everything. And is this loving helps me understand, instills a sense of humility in me. It's like, that's not kind. And I may not know what to do right now. I may not know what it should be right now. But what I can be is kind and here. And that's, there's a sense of surrender in that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I, I hear in that a kind of a, I can ask the what is true question from my head. Um, and it, it, it is an aligning question that helps my head be in the right place, helps me focus on the right things. But the question, is it loving? Is it kind? Drops me into my heart. Yeah. And as you describe it a little bit, I think perhaps the what is this really about drops me into my gut. But maybe we'll explore that a little bit after the break. For now, let's take a short break. And in just a moment, we'll be back again with the, with the Hilke Faber in this Turning the Tables, Hilke as Guest conversation. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. Well, we're back now again with our guest, uh, Hilke Faber. I'm your guest host, Rick Gage, and uh, delighted to continue the conversation that we've been having. Hilke, I loved what you shared in the first half of our of our conversation about what rooted and unwavering feels like for you and, and where that's come from and some of how you notice uh, when you're there and when you're not. And, and these three questions that you've that you flagged for us that we've talked a little bit about, I'd like to dig in a bit further on the is it true sort of I was suggesting head question first that you ask, is it loving and kind, which I suggested might be a heart question and the what's really going on here? Uh, which might get to something in the in the gut. So uh, maybe I'll first let you react if you have a have a different thought process than the sort of head heart gut thing that I just threw on the table and uh, and uh, see what your thoughts are to take that conversation forward a little bit. I love that. I love that head heart gut frame on this. And I would add the hands, which gets us to the fourth question: What's of service here? So this is not just me being all feeling good about myself um, or getting aligned. The alignment also leads to, like you said earlier, Rick, to extending that then. You know, so like, okay, so there's a sense of, like with this situation that I just described with this client, is this true that they are about to haze me or like 
pull, pull one over? No. Is it true that everything is gone? No. Uh, so what is true? Oh, a change of situation. And this might probably, this is an opportunity for something deeper or further with them than maybe something. Is, is, it, is it loving? Drops me in the heart. No, because I'm I'm actually I can feel the separation and the 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 loving part. When I'm out of it, it goes to judgment. Like I'm in judgment of them and of me. Like I shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done this. And now we're in this kind of mental like clash, as opposed to coming from the heart, uh, being loving. As it, it gets to a sense of stillness kindness let's be in this together whatever happens we're in this together we are in this together i i feel like the proverbial hand behind your heart in that situation it's like oh we're in this together this client sending this email must be hard for them too to write that like wow like they that's like i'm 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 appreciating their openness like oh they like it, it it opens a whole different way of relating to the other person. And that interesting starts to interact with the head again, right? Like it, it starts to give different insights. Like I can have a different kind of conversation with them. And then what's really at stake for you, more at the gut level, right? Also gets to like, well, why am I here? What am I rooted in? Is it about maximizing the deal? You know, getting the most out of this, squeezing the most out of this? Or is it about something deeper? And, you know, then I, that brings me back to what work for me is about, what life for me is about. It's about connectedness. It's about connecting to what's true about ourselves, about what's our reality and how do we serve from that place. So then almost like a natural outflow, like there's a movement that is like outward, but with the hands, I want to be of service. Like, I, how can I help? Like, how can I help? How can I help? And in this case, that means like, oh, so what can I do? Or what can we do to help you be successful in this different scope? Like, and, you know, my, my, my ego brain will say, well, you know, you cut it. I'm going to cut you too, you know? As opposed, no, no. I, and, and, and then we have a beautiful interaction together. We have a beautiful interaction together. It gets to a much better place. And... We're, we're now describing this sequentially, like truth, love, steak, service. Steak, not as vegetables, but steak is what's at stake here. And it, it, can, it can be in any order. And I find that the, the fourth question, how can I be of service here, is, uh, can be a question that can cut through all the others because it takes me out of my shell. Like... At 3 a.m. that night, if I had been able to get to the question, what's of service? It would have probably quieted my mental chatter even faster than it did. Well, well but let me caution a little bit because um, I, I often rush to the service question. Ah. And I don't, don't let the other questions surface. And even as you just recounted the story, you kind of skimmed past the what's at stake question. Because a part of what I heard come up was, wait a minute, we've done more work than that. Uh -huh. and, and rather than just give in, oh, yes, I'll go along, that would be of service. Yeah, if I just asked the service question, then it would be of service for me to acquiesce to the, to the client's request. Uh 
But really, there's something else at stake here. That's that's my guts telling me, wait a minute, this isn't fair. This isn't right. There's some there's a boundary here that I need to pay some attention to and I need to advocate for myself so I can trust myself. Um, and and I can I also stand for something here. Yes, I want to be of service. Yes, I stand for the client. And I also stand for me, for for me and my yes. team. Yes. yes. And that balance is an important piece. So I, I, I really like all the questions, and you're right, they can come in any order and surface in any way, but they're all important. I, I love that. I also like what you said just now about when I dare to take a stand for myself, it helps to create more trust for myself. And paradoxically, when I don't, Basically, I give into some kind of fear of what might happen, like if I did. But now I'm creating what might happen by giving in to the fearful scenario, which is I'm just going along with what's not true. Right? And that's actually now I'm creating a fearful anecdote, you could say, another fearful example, fear-based example for my mind to come back to, which says, you see, you can't trust anybody uh, because they're going to pull one over and then you're going to be doing all this work for nothing and you can't trust anybody. Right. And, and that's what would have been the end of the story. But as you said, by asking this question, what's really at stake for you, what do I stand for? We're able to change that story and bring it more into alignment with what is higher truth, which is like, ha, we delivered this work. You need a smaller budget, smaller scope, Let's find a way that works for everyone. Now, I even give my mind a little reminder saying, don't mess with Hilka, right? Don't mess with Hilka. He stands for something and you can rely on that. And that to me is part of connectedness as well. It's not all like gooey and soft and kind and cuddly. It's also firm and learning to stand in our own truth. And also enjoying that, not to, to hurt the other, but to actually practice self-respect and dignity. I think that's beautiful. And, and Hilke touches something that's, that's quite personal, I think, for you and I, and even in our relationship. We're both people who very much value generosity and whose instinct is to be generous. And there have been many times in our relationship over the last several years when our instinct to be generous has been for each of us um, a, a not paying attention to something that was important to us. Yeah. And, and it's been a learning process that it's better for us in the long run if we pay attention to that niggle, that sense that there's something here that doesn't feel right or fair to me. And each time we have confronted those things together, it's deepened relationship and, and brought us forward. Yes. And that, that leads me to maybe a shift in our the focus of our conversation a little bit. I'd love to explore with you a little bit how rooted and unwavering supports connectedness and in particular connected teamwork. We spent the last several years focused on connectedness, the last couple years focused on how connectedness can really help teams at uh, function at the next level. Talk a little bit about how you see rootedness and unwaveringness as valuable in the context of teams and teamwork. Yes. 
So it's interesting when I connect the dots going back, you know, and we've been working with teams for the last 20 years, I would say, 20 years. And when I connect back to all the retreats and all the workshops and all the development journeys and all the coachings, individual or with groups that was done, that I was part of or that I observed that I led, the thing that always made the difference was where people became truthful and people became rooted in something deeper than the superficial conversation. Like we, we accessed a deeper level of intelligence and that intelligence wasn't just words. It was also feelings. It was meaning. It was uh, the way we had conversations, the, the, the way decisions were made, but it came from a much deeper place. Like it was almost like, uh, you know, when you have a beautiful piece of music, there's a, an undercurrent of the melody that sweeps everything with like where by itself the little drum going doesn't mean too much but the drum in you know the ninth symphony or the of 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 the or i don't even know the the the, the fourth symphony from beethoven makes a big impact because it's enveloped in this deeper intelligence and that's what i would say happens when you work with teams on connectedness now that may sound esoteric so make that very specific right for a team, what brings that deeper connectedness is one, people connecting to themselves, right? So if, if everybody's phoning it in, nobody's there. We just have like a, sort of a, an almost artificial intelligence reality where there's just computers talking to each other, which, by the way, has a great function too, but that's not what this is about, right? It's like, okay, so let's think about a team. We, we talk about an issue. Think about the example just I mentioned with Carlos and his his, his colleague, but that could be a team issue. Is a team issue. Okay, so we're going to just play, placate it and put some values on it. We're going to be respectful and we're going to be owning. And but, oh, No, that's BS. We're going to talk about how does that feel? What is at stake for you? What's caring? Like we're, we're, we're asking those deeper questions to access a deeper level. So the first piece of connectedness is people connecting to themselves and also realizing when their reptilian brain, like I was just describing with this other client, was just acting up or whether I'm coming from this deeper values-driven place, right? The second part of that is connecting to each other. And that means that I need to be able to see Rick, you, Rick, right? So in our interactions, when you do something that I don't like, am I therefore going to judge the heck out of you? No, no. Or think, you know, my old story, I have to do it all by myself. No, that's my judgment. So I can step out of that. I can accept you for who you are, accept you for the brilliant being that you are, that is unchanging, that's always. I can see the unfailing sufficiency in you. And at the same time, I can have honest conversations with you and honor you with my truth and hear your truth so we can be in truth together. That's connecting to each other, part of that. And there's a lot more to that. And then the third part is connecting to the task, to the purpose. Why are we here together? Like, why are we here together? What is the purpose of this team? So with Carlos and his group, it's, it's to create a better experience for their customers. It's not about one person owning and the other person not owning. No. No. That's, that's besides the point. 
that's not purposeful. So what's the purpose? So part of working with teams is to ground on the bigger why, which always is higher than the next quarter or the next year's number. That's important too, because without that, we won't have a business, right? Shareholders won't pay for what we're going to do here. But what is it that we are here for? What is it that we are really here to do? Why do we do what we do? And when you we connect teams with those three pieces, and that's an ongoing practice, they become more intelligent, more caring, more, you could say those four questions that come into action, become people become more truthful, they become more loving, caring, compassionate, they become more rooted in what's actually going on, which is another form of truthful, and they become more of service to what really needs to be happening as opposed to the service to their own ego agenda, which takes a lot of energy. I think that's really powerful and to think about those different layers and how that can be helpful. Um, I also think it's interesting that in in a team context or in a in a in a community context in, in bumping up against others is often the feedback loop. You know, that's where some of the universe's knocks on the doors come from. You know, hey, look inside. Um, and it's often true that others can see me more clearly than I can see myself. So when I'm in a context of a loving, uh, supportive relationship in, in, a, in a work setting, my colleagues can be a huge advantage to me in understanding myself and yes. in getting more clarity about what's important to me. Uh, and we can call forward in each other this, this more rootedness. Sometimes somebody else will be aware before I am that, you know, you seem a little unsettled, Rick. What's, what's going on here? I, your energy shifted there and I don't know what that's about. Um, and maybe I don't even know yet what that's about, but I can pause and say, hmm, yeah, that's right. That did feel different to me. Something does feel off. What is it that's true for me? Uh, and, and I can go through that, 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 that question series and become more clear myself and come back together. And, and you touched just briefly on um, what it's like when we don't have that in organizations. And I think it's worth spending a minute or two there. I've been working with an organization in which there are very nice conversations. It's a very cordial, apparently collegial um, executive team in which I don't think they have the real conversations. Mm -hmm. And the conversation they have about the conversation when they talk with me afterwards is very different than the conversation when it was happening. Yeah. Um, and and. I think there's kind of an epidemic right now of these not real conversations that are happening in, in organizations. And uh, there is just as it is in life, not sustainable in, in, as individuals to be locked in this not real conversations happening internally. It's not viable in organizations to have conversations that aren't real. We can't make real progress on the challenges that we're facing. We can't tackle the tough problems that humanity faces without getting to those real conversations. Um, I'd love your perspective on, on how you see teams functioning when they're, when they're not having some of these, this kind of connectedness. What are some of the symptoms that might be clues that some deeper focus on, on connectedness and this rootedness and unwaveringness would be helpful? 
Well, the simple reflection would be always <laughs> because it's not an end station. Like truth, love, service are not things that you get and then you're done. It's to me, it's a lifelong project of discovery, right? So for me to be on the team means I'm always working on myself. I'm always, as you suggested, in feedback with the other, connecting to the other and learning from them. And I'm always thinking about, so what is of service now? And it can be very different from the way it was yesterday because situations can change even though my purpose may stay the same. Yeah. Now, how practically do we see teams having like a high need even though I just said it was always, but a high need to do something about it. Well, the first thing that I would say is the entropy, which is the energy not available for productive use is high, which means a lot of conversations happen about the conversation, but the conversation doesn't happen. Like you were suggesting uh, that people are writing very long emails to each other to explain their positions, there's defensiveness happening, uh, that we are not making progress towards our goals, uh, that we have people dominating the conversation, that there's a lot of drama, that we're pleasing each other all the time, that we are always in opposition to each other, that we're in some kind of competition with each other, that we are not enjoying what we're doing, right? Uh, that we're getting feedback from the people that we lead, that we are causing a lot of confusion, that people have no idea how it's all going to work out, that our agendas are overly full, that we're not feeling we're living our, our best life, like life continues happening and we just feel like we're phoning it. These are all symptoms you could say. It's like, huh. We could say, well, this is just how, how work is. This is... Now, when you're part of an, a team, you're not supposed to say what's really going on. Or you can say, well, wait a second. Is that true? How, what would happen? What would happen? What if? And not to make that wrong where we are. This is a part of our human evolution. There's reasons that we don't say what's on our mind because we don't want to get fired or we don't want to lose our pole position or we don't have any experience doing that, right? It's, we can be compassionate with ourselves. But... When that's happening, you can say, well, what, what if what if I just allowed myself to be a little bit more connected today to what's truth, loving, truthful, loving, and of service, even if the rest of my team doesn't do it? And then if I have the wherewithal, the position maybe, but definitely the influence, I can ask my team. So what would happen if we looked at how we work together, how we work together. And if we became a bit more, we found ways to become even more honest, even more respectful, even more impactful in what we do. So, yeah. So the, the main thing for me is to not to be discouraged. To say, ah, of course, I'm a human being in 2023 or whatever it might be, as humans, we are very stuck in ego consciousness for the most part. So of course, we're going to have all kinds of thoughts that separate each other from each other. And that's just where we are. Now, what do I, how do I respond to that? What's my choice in that today? 
and not even getting attached to a beautiful outcome. That to me is practicing connectedness right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, let's let's maybe look at a bit the balancing part of that. So share share with us a little bit when experience you've had of when when there was that kind of interconnectedness and team connectedness and connectedness to the task uh, and and what that was like and what that felt like and and what you learned from one of those peak experiences. Yeah. Well, fortunately, they they seem to happen more and more. So when I look at my home team, the Growth Leaders Network team, I see that happen more and more uh, because what happens is, well, the practice we start our every meeting with is check-in. So we talk about how we feel, how we're growing, and what our intention is. And invariably, that accesses this deeper level of intelligence already, right? There's just a more sense of reflection. We slow down a little bit and we see each other for where each person is at that given time and point. You know, and we all go through things in life, you know, and you and I have had our own experiences with that. And just being able to be with that, um, we share peace with each other, like a sharing peace. It's like passing each other a glass of water. Here, have some peace, even if we're not in a peaceful situation, right? And then the second thing that I noticed was when we keep coming back to this question of purpose and I see people self-regulate, like there's a lot of things we could talk about in a meeting and I see the team staying in tune with like just knowing that this is off key, that's on key with, no, no, we're going to stay with this. So a great example of that is um, a colleague of ours from Eastern Europe uh, who teaches me always to keep it simple. So for example, in Growth Leaders Network, we're entirely focused on for new clients, introducing them to connected team events. That's all. But my crocodile brain wants to do this and then that and then 500 other things. And I said, no, keep it simple. And just that purposefulness makes it so simple. So there's a sense of simplicity that comes. And then another thing I've noticed is that feedback flows very easily. Like feedback is not such a big deal. Hey, I noticed you did this. Can we talk about that? Like, yeah, of course. And we create, because we've done it so many times, when I say, or when I hear from somebody, hey, I have some feedback for you. I don't think now it's the end of the world because we've been through this so many times. Like, oh, feedback time. All right, knocking on the door. Let's talk about this because I know what's on the other end, which is growth, uh, kindness, and a deeper rootedness. So I could talk about this for, for a lot more, but those are some of the things I want to say. And then maybe as a last thing is, I just notice people being more joyful, just more joyful because they're more people. Everybody's more, you could say, feeling taller on the inside and we help each other that way. Yeah. I appreciate those reflections. I, I love how you're 
I would describe it as reclaiming the word feedback because I think feedback has come to have a negative charge for many of us. And I hear you reclaiming it in a way that that this is a, a positive element of relationship. This is how relationships deepen and form and grow. And I think that's really positive. I have a colleague who who said that sometimes people just blurt something that that you know really strikes you deeply. Um, she said something like, we're okay being angry with each other because we know we love each other. Yes. Um, you know, we can be in conflict and we're okay because we know there's something deeper that yeah. holds us together yeah. and that this conflict will come and go. It's, it's weather that will, that will pass. Uh, yeah. and, and that, that sort of deeper connectedness creates the opportunity for teams to have the healthy conflict and, and discussion and different points of view uh, that allow better decision making and and better creativity and 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 more energy and I love that you highlighted the the sort of joyfulness. Uh, I noticed that in the teams that are connected, I think of an every Friday meeting that we've had Hilka for for a long time. There's lots of laughter with with another colleague that that we get to meet with, and and that laughter is is a good sign of of a healthy relationship and, and of collaboration. Well, we're just about at the end of our time. Hilka, let me just offer a, an opening as you always do. What else would you like to say before we close today? That I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I feel the connectedness and the joy of reflecting on what it means to connect together with others. And maybe that's my invitation to people listen. Everything that's said here are just parts of perspectives from two people. And to me, the power is not so much in what's being said, but that we're talking about it. So my invitation, if you're listening, is to have conversations about what does it mean to be truthful, loving, and of service? What does it mean to be connected with yourselves and with others? As simple as that. Thank you for joining this episode of Rooted and Unwavering, in which Hilke Faber has been our guest. Well, next time we'll, we'll be back again to the usual format, and Hilke will be the host. Uh, and we'll look forward to more conversations over the coming weeks and months. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.